This is Linux in Laws, a podcast on topics around free and open source software, any associated contraband, communism, the revolution in general, and whatever else fancies your tickle. Please note that this and other episodes may contain strong language, offensive humor, and other certainly not politically correct language. You have been warned. Our parents insisted on this disclaimer. Happy mum! Thus, the content is not suitable for consumption in the workplace, especially when played back on a speaker in an open-plan office or similar environments. Any minors under the age of 35 or any pets, including fluffy little killer bunnies, your trusted guide dog, unless on speed, and cute T-Rexes or other associated dinosaurs. Welcome to Linux In-Laws, Season 1, Episode 95. Martin, it's that time of the year again. How are things? Yeah, I think it's a good. Pumpkins are on the way. Um, exactly. So are you preparing for Halloween then? Of course, always, always. How? How, Martin? How? Oh, mainly by um, not opening the door to little children. <laughs> that sounds scary to me. <laughs> <laughs> It is scary. Very scary, these little people that come asking for sweets. Yeah. So what do you do? Uh, just apart from not opening the door, do you get the tanks in place or something? <laughs> no, no, it's just it's 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 pretty simple. Yeah, just pretend you're not in. I mean, this is the oldest trick in the book, no? Mm. You see, this is the beauty about what about, what about yourself? <laughs> yeah, this is the, I was just going. To, I was just about to say ah. the beauty about of living in an apartment complex, basically. Ah. Is you, you have to get through the main door exactly. first. <laughs> <laughs> so. Sets of doors to get through. Mm. Well, actually, two doors, not two sets of doors, but two doors. Ah, one but once you're in, though, you've got a big, big audience. <laughs> uh, well, you can try the individual apartment doors, yes, but that's as mm. far as it gets. And somebody has to let you in the first place. Mm -hmm. Plus, the fact I reckon that Halloween is catching on here in Germany, but I reckon oh, yeah. in comparison to the UK and never mind the US and Ireland. Right. Uh, yeah. Festivity as such still, still pales, as in the popularity of that of that of mm -hmm. that of that festivity still pales mm. in comparison. I mean, it's more like a pub thing here in Germany, I suppose. So places well, like, the like restaurants, <laughs> they tag it onto that. Of the... <laughs> just yeah, just a bit. Have, I mean, have but... a pumpkin with you. <laughs> well, well, Oktoberfest basically means that you have tents with. It, with crazy people exactly going into these tents and drinking lots and lots and lots and lots of lots of beer. Yeah. But Halloween would be a an existing pub would be made up with cobwebs, spiderwebs, uh, pumpkins, and all the rest of it. Mm. Um, right. As in, yeah, some you as I said. I mean, I reckon in the last five years, people started to trick or treat. But in comparison, I reckon to the stuff that I've been exposed to in the UK and the and, and especially Ireland when I was when I was living there, that's really still pales. Hmm. I'm sure. Yeah. It's, I mean, even um, uh, even over here, right? It's uh, it's an American import. Uh, you see, uh, it's, it's sim similar to to Christmas in in the Netherlands, for example. That's also yeah been. A media you, expedition rather than. Uh, I mean, you know who the Americans, whom the Americans stole it from, right? Because the Americans didn't invent it as such. Uh, well, they are um, 
quite they a adopted young it, yes. nation, yeah. <laughs> well, true. It actually, oh, uh, probably some pagan ritual coming from the Celts or something. It, it, you're spot on, Mr. Richard. Yes, just guessing. absolutely. <laughs> no, no, I mean, seriously. The Celts invented yeah. it, and it, was, and it, had, okay. it had the high time, actually, a couple of centuries back in Ireland, when it was actually, mm. and this is what the Americans simply borrowed, when it was used to say thank you for the harvest. Um, and, and this whole business of, of dressing up and the scary stuff, which mm. nice leads us to the topics of this episode, came ah, later. Dressing up. Also, Why don't we talk about dressing up? <laughs> no, we're talking about scary scary things in a moment. Anyway. Ah, well, that could be you dressed up. But... <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. I would like to return the compliment. You're welcome. <laughs> Martin, that's the reason actually why we're doing a, a non-video podcast, right? As in us talking only. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> As usual. Very, very sensible. Very sensible yeah. Indeed, very much so. Because otherwise, I reckon we would lose our last listeners, which... It's probably not a good idea in the terms of the upcoming monetization about 40 <laughs> years' time or something like that anyway. <clears throat> okay, on to, on to today's subject. Mm. So let's talk about the scariest moments in Frost history because okay. if that happens, that will be our today's topic for this heli- uh, follow for, for, for followed, no, uh, for this Halloween episode, followed by, of course, it is, as it is tradition of the last couple of years since we invented this format, Martin and myself, all these years back, by a new episode of The Dark Side, as in Dark Side Tech Support. People, I know you have been waiting for this, and unfortunately, it only happens these days, only once per year, but rest assured, at the end of this episode, there will be a Dark Side. Again, supporting technology. And... If the script that I've seen is anything to go by, brace yourself. Script? Oh, script, yes. Yeah, somebody yeah, no, writes this, I think. No, we don't normally um, write episodes, but yeah. No, but Obviously, we do for the, for the dark side, the sketches. Yes, yes yeah. we do, yes. Occasionally, okay. that is, anyway, yep. yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But before we get to that sketch, uh, let's hmm. tackle the scariest moments in Floss history. You want and to, the scariest to people, off? right? What about oh, the scariest sc- people? Scariest moments, scariest people, anything goes, Mark. Okay, okay, okay. You want yeah. to start us off? Uh, yeah, sure. I mean, uh, there's obviously a couple of things that were fairly scary uh, around about eight, ten years ago, eight years ago. Hmm. When was it? Anyway, something along those lines. And um, we had some, uh, let's say, interesting bugs in some open source code, right, which led to some serious vulnerabilities. Couple of things come to mind, but I don't want to steal your thunder. Uh, well, one of them is, of course, Heartbleed, very um, uh, topical for Halloween. This I is, I can recall seeing an XKCD comic about a huge building mm. almost toppling because there was some, some tiny support. What's the word I'm looking for? Bar, exactly. There was a tiny bar in place supporting this whole huge building. And of course, the the building being the internet, and the bug referring to some loan supporting, un, not paid supporter of this code base, apparently residing in Nebraska or something, of all places. Things maybe. Not. I thought there were two of them, but yeah, they they, okay, they weren't. So they, weren't they weren't doing it full time, right? So, Martin, of course, there, there there was also a website. If I'm completely mistaken, what what but what was Harpley all about? If the internet, if the whole of it, if, the, if the whole of the internet rests on this, it's about openness as well, right? The, um, the library commonly used mm-hmm. to encrypt traffic between 
Internet. Uh, internet yeah. yeah, the problem was a memory thing because in Buffer it was overflow or something like that. I can't even recall the details. They usually are, right? It's, uh, mm. I mean, with that, the big thing really about this was that uh, everybody, nobody realized that there was this, this guy in his basement looking after this on his own and and the whole internet was running on it. <laughs> after that, they, uh, yeah, they, suddenly, they, uh, they actually put some, some money in place and some support for these people because it's Didn't quite a vital piece of, yeah. Uh, yeah. Google, Didn't yeah. Google, some other companies start a foundation or something like this to look after? Yeah, them? there was definitely something. Hmm, okay. Uh, where people realized how important a piece of open source software is, and um, yeah, that these people need to eat as well. <laughs> uh, oh, very yeah. much so. I'm not too sure actually if they did this on the side as in a hobby project for them, because they, of it course, was, there were. Yeah, it was. Yeah. Yeah, 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 there were alternatives at the time. You already could get new TLS and, and similar libraries, if I'm completely mistaken. But is it fair to assume now that these two guys up in Nebraska now own their own uh, 500 acre? premises with a couple of nice villas on them and some other kind of fancy cars and stuff? <laughs> Probably not. Uh, it's unlikely, unlikely, yeah. yeah. I reckon they're still not rolling in, in Dow, no? I don't know. Maybe we should get them on the show. Well, if, they, if they're still around and if they want to talk about Harpleen or not. Hmm. That'd be worth Yeah. Yeah, I think so. I think so. <laughs> Are we just going to get one of these big corporations backing that foundation on the show and then have their marketing department talk absolutely nonsense? <laughs> Google, uh, Intel, they, they, can, and... they can talk as much nonsense as they want to. They sponsor us. <laughs> exactly. Google, IBM, Intel, yeah. if you're listening, the email address is sponsor at linuxinlaws.eu. So feel free to get in touch. Uh, yeah. We yeah, can yeah. Wide, widely used email address, yeah. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, other scary moments in uh -huh. What do you think? Yeah, I can recall something with a similar interesting website called Shellshock. Uh huh. What was that? If all I'm about? completely mistaken. What was that all about? I think it was about a remote privilege escalation. But as I'm the non-techy one of the two of us, Martin, why don't you explain this to us? Didn't you? Um, no, I didn't thing. write this. No, you didn't write it, but uh, I thought you were certified in this uh, security nonsense. Uh, well, yes, from a forensic perspective. <laughs> oh, that doesn't necessarily mean that I'm familiar with the technical years of that particular exploit. Ah, okay. Yeah, about the exploit was that, um, or the exploit, the result of the exploit was that uh, remote people could execute commands on your system through bash, which is obviously not a good thing. Scary stuff. That is pretty bad, yeah. Yeah. I mean, if you can become real on your local machine and without uh, the admin even noticing this, wow, that's serious mm. business. <clears throat> yeah, it's uh, well, possibly even worse than the uh, the Harpley one, right? Mm. True. Well, for those affected, at least. Yeah. Exactly. I mean, crashing a library due to memory uh, over uh, due to memory mm. misuses or, mis or mismanagement is one thing, but. A local privilege escalation after remote access is, is a totally different ballgame. Yeah, indeed, indeed. But it all got fixed. So. As they normally do, and this is one of the beauties, beauties about open source, right? Because you have so many eyeballs watching a code mm. base, although it may take some time. <laughs> yeah, sure that, about the, about you know the timelines involved with yeah. OpenSSL, as in with, with. I think. Um, Shellshock was 
fixed pretty quickly after the first exploit was in the wild, right? Not too sure about Shellshock, though. No, no. Uh, uh, sorry, Harpley. I think there was some uh, some pretty, um, let's say, uh, a lot of exploits happened uh, through Shellshock. So it, it didn't, I don't think it got fixed that quickly. Right. I mean, it only takes one exploit to be successful, and then a CVE is normally created if, if somebody comes, yeah. uh, comes across this. Yeah. True. And if if you have a CVE in place, normally, if the if the code base is not subject to bit rot, as in if it is maintained, it's normally and essentially, and especially with these with these all important code bases like the Bash or OpenSSL, mm, they, yeah, they, they are fixed pretty quickly if there's an exploit already in place in the world. Uh, ex- well, taking taking advantage of this bug because mm. normally DVEs are monitored very closely by the people maintaining these code bases, if not yeah. alerted well, by, think, uh, yeah. by the people think, themselves. Indeed, in this case, it was the, the guy who found it actually informed the, the Bash maintainer, right? There but you go. Before that all gets implemented, it takes some time. Um, uh, and in the meantime, obviously, <laughs> it's all public knowledge that it's uh, yeah a vulnerability. So, mm. so if you are looking after systems, monitor your CVEs, I guess, or somebody, or at least maintain a uh, often monitored email address just in case, <laughs> <laughs> so that people can get in touch with you. Hmm. Yeah, I think you had some. Scary bits of software as well, like Emacs or something. You wanted to mention? Uh, well, it's <laughs> it's yeah, it's it's uh, this is the gray line between scary <laughs> and what's what I'm looking for. Unnecessary? No, uh, no, 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 no. <laughs> like a like a like a fuck no? up. Oh yes, well, I would agree with that. Yeah, Emacs is definitely such a thing. Yes, yes. Carry on. <laughs> do, do you think so? Why is that, Martin? <laughs> well, nobody needs it, right? Anyway, carry on. Martin, I think the jury is loud there, um, as in the community is divided, because I reckon 50% of terminal users use Emacs, and the other simply use VI or some other editors. The email address people, if you have any opinions on that, <laughs> of course, <laughs> <laughs> the great yeah. editor wars at uh, you if you're so inclined. Mm. Yeah, 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 or yeah. simply use the ordinary email address, as in feedback at linuxinlaws.eu. Yes, good idea. Always works. I mean, why, why? Why is Emacs? Why is Emacs such? Yeah, a, do tell, do tell. Such a such a scary thing. Unnecessary thing. Yes, I wouldn't. I wouldn't say scary in in itself, but rather it, it led to some important. Let's put it this way: uh, innovations or uh-huh. inventions. Let's put it this way, because as, as as some of the people on the listening to the listen to the show probably know that a guy called Richard M. Storman, we which we may tackle later on the show or not, depending, mm. as a scary person. <laughs> Started running yeah. Emacs, I think, back in the 70s. And then a guy called James Gosling, who also, I think, invented something called Java, which, of course... Ah, not the actor, is... no. <laughs> not the editor, but the programming language, exactly. Uh, for which quite a few people owe him... Eternal gratitude, I suppose, or not depending. No, took this code and turned this, I think, if I'm completely mistaken, either into an internal project or 
at or to actually try to turn it into a conventional product, needless to say, Mr. Storm wasn't too happy about this. And this is exactly one of the reasons why something called the GNU public license was founded in the first place, to exactly prevent that sort of behavior happening uh-huh. once again. And I think at this around the same time, also well, the Free Software Foundation well, was founded. What, what do you mean it's the same thing not happening again? It happens all the time, no? Well, you see, I mean, if you put a code base under the GPL, as in the hmm. public license, everything that you do with that code base has to be automatically published upon request. Yeah, but that doesn't stop people from monetizing open source projects. Of course not. No, 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 no. But, I mean, you cannot take the code and turn this into an internal project as in you modify yeah, the code okay. base of the GPA, of, of a GPA code base and mm. then you just and then you restrict access to only your internal organization to this. That's mm. not possible mm. under a GPL license code base. And that's exactly what apparently Mr. Gosling did going uh, back 50 years or something. I don't know. You tell me. Like that, yeah, as in late 70s. I wasn't around back then. Um, no. Well, I was... But I mean, I reckon without this... Uh, Richard wouldn't have come up with the with this whole idea of a copyleft license, which he did, okay. based on this incident. Okay, yeah. other 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 scary moments. I reckon the whole this whole uh, well, forking of projects goes a long way because two projects that come to mind immediately are LibAV, as in the controversy around FFmpeg and LibAV. Uh huh. Now, Which what? property is this? I was just about to explain. Oh, okay. <laughs> to explain this. Excellent. Excellent. Open W and Lena is, is another example. Essentially, a couple of core devs become disillusioned with the project management of the of the project, with the people around this, with lack of whatever bandwidth of some other project members and all the rest of it. I mean, the the, the reasons are quite are quite comprehensive. So somebody got, because a group of people basically get disillusioned, fork the project, and do something with that code base. And libavffmpeg and openwrt and later probably are two of the, be- of the better known examples in this case. Fortunately, these people afterwards, after some uh, time, also sometimes aided by, I wouldn't say, pressure but rather convincing of the community came to their senses and merged these two code bases once again as it hmm. as, as it happened with AV and also with with later which is again now back into the open WRT code base um, the open WRT is actually a very interesting example because I think the main rationale for a couple of project members to form something called later was actually due to the fact that the other people of the OpenWRT project had something much bigger in mind than just confining OpenWRT to modem-like devices. Uh, details may or not in the show in, in the show notes without going into the details. So far as mm. to say, they saw OpenWRT pretty much like I wouldn't say in the Android for embedded devices, but certainly somewhere in between in terms of making OpenWRT one of the standards for embedded devices, uh, starting with MIPS, because MIPS is a very popular processor architecture in the modem space. My guess would be that about, what, 60-70% of all home-based Zoho routers probably use MIPS as an Atheros 9 mm. 
19, that sort of thing. And the Raspberry probably uses ARM. I think I can recall coming across in my 30 years of IT history, I, I can recall coming across one Intel-based device quite some time back. Okay. But the majority of these devices would either run MIPS or ARM, I reckon. The routers in my place probably being the, being the best examples. What about you? You have a couple of routers too, right? Uh, yes. Ever taken them apart and looked at the at the inarts? Uh, no. Why well, not? They're well, they still work. So. <laughs> <It's> <laughs> Unless they stop working. I'm... <laughs> okay. And what, and, and Martin, just out of curiosity, what do they run? Uh, some kind of, of Lin Linux derivative, yeah. Ah, uh, think, uh, you didn't, you didn't Debian, free them yet. Yeah, some kind of Debian derivative, yeah. Mm. Okay. You haven't freed mm. them yet in terms of you haven't reflashed these devices because apparently uh, no. they work. Okay, fair enough. Sounds like too much like hard work, yeah. Okay. Yes. <clears throat> back to but back, back to, to our scariest moments, yes. Yes. Another one is of course the hurt. The hurt. Oh, is that the not hurt, something yes. to do with the GNU? Absolutely, Martin. Spot on. What do you know about the hurt? Well, it's a collection of GNUs, no? <laughs> Spotted Mark, Martin, well spotted. No, <laughs> as a matter of fact, Richard M. Stallman called the hurt the missing the missing link in terms of mm. okay, a little bit of history now. Uh, we have the year fourteen seventy eight. Richard M. Stallman has just come up with the idea of a, <laughs> of a totally free and open source operating system. No, I'm joking. We're talking about I reckon seventies, maybe early eighties. Uh, Richard and some other people who subsequently formed the Free Software Foundation, among other things, came up with the idea of, in contrast to the then prevailing System 5007 of Unix, which was classified as proprietary software, as a not open source, came up with the idea of doing a freely open source operating system mm. to power free software, disregarding the BSDs, which were just emerging at the time, so they started to to implement many parts of the typical Unix ecosystem slash userland, like shells, like utilities, like text formatting software in terms of trough and something, and all the stuff that you need running on top of your kernel to form an operating system. Now, what, what was missing at this stage was actually the kernel itself. So the FSF in particular, the Groot project, came up with this idea of starting to work on this missing piece, I think, mid-80s. And that was known then. And the project name was actually Hurt. H-U-R-A-D. I met mm -hmm. a core dev early 90s by the name of Mike Bushnell, if I'm not completely mistaken, or Bushnell, I can't even remember his second name, who... And that was in 93, if I'm not completely mistaken, at the Usenix conference in Albuquerque, who was claiming that there were only a couple of bits missing to let the to let the kernel boot. Apparently, this hasn't changed much over the last 30 years. Apparently, you can now boot hurt. But I would say that the kernel is far from complete with regards to the overall functionality. So, funny enough, early 90s, Hmm. There was this Finnish computer student by the name of Linus Torvalds, if I'm not completely mistaken, right, Martin? He, um, yeah, I think he's from Finland. Yeah, who was working on a terminal emulator at the time, if, I'm, if memory serves correct. 
links will be in the show notes. There was this useful post that said, now look, I don't like medics. Um, of course, people, I'm simplifying things, so don't crucify me. There have been whole wars between a certain Mrs. Tannenbaum as an Andrew Tannenbaum and Linus on the, on the, on the subject of how to, how to architect Colonel. But as I said, A, this is ancient history. And if we would go into the details, this episode wouldn't be four hours, but rather eight hours long. So we're going to cut right, it down yeah. and keep that to the show notes. Long story short, mm. some people kind of, uh, early nineties saw the potential that this Linux project had and immediately said, now this is, let's use this as our kernel. And hence this notion, primarily from the GNU people, to call it GNU Linux and not just Linux, because this is where it comes from. The idea was basically, now that they had the kernel, they could simply put the user land and all the funny and, and, and all the funky software that they had been developing at the time onto that kernel. And hence, uh, Linux as the not just as the kernel but also as the complete operating system was born pretty much like early mid nineties, and heard still. I think it has a website, yes, and it also really? has a Wikipedia site, yes. But the, <laughs> that's as far as it goes. There have mm. been, I think, some quite the same as Linux some <laughs> attempts being made to put a Debian user land onto Hurt, but I reckon it doesn't go further than a terminal emulator being able to log into the whole thing or something like that. And I think you can only get it for Intel architectures at the moment, or maybe ten years ago. I can't remember. Right. As I said, details maybe in the show notes. But a, another scary thing is actually, and this is a really bold teaser for an upcoming episode on something called the Free Software Conservancy, where Karen Sandner talks about her conundrum about medical devices and closed source software. And this is really scary, people, because if you take a look at the prevailing medical devices like pacemakers and all the rest of them, most of them wouldn't run open source software. They would run a closed source code bases, which can't exactly be found on GitHub. And this, I reckon, is scary. Because as Karen will outline in that upcoming episode, which is going to be published, I reckon, early next year, I suppose. Yeah, I think so. Is anything to go by? You cannot really inspect this code base because it's closed source. Never mind whether this drives your vital science in terms of uh, it's a vital piece of infrastructure without you probably being dead shortly as a new typical pacemaker. Any thoughts on this, Mon? Clearly, knowing what a uh, piece of code does on a device that's implanted on you is a good idea. Um, well, not, not necessarily for you personally, but if at least you know that people have looked at this and torn it apart and made sure it's um, yeah up to scratch, right? That gives you some reassurance, whereas if it's closed source, you have no idea uh, whether it was Chris who wrote it or Bob or John. And... Or Martin, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Which would be pretty scary if it was one of those. <laughs> yes, very much so, yes. Yeah. Uh, do you want to discuss one other thing that is scary other thing that's scary. Um, yeah. Apart well, from the British government, of course. <laughs> people or no? Sorry, fr- people. Yeah, anything, anything frustrated goes. So that would that would rule out the British government, I suppose. Ah, well, I mean, uh, what's his name? Linus is also known for some. Oh yeah, being a Linus pretty scary himself. person, yes, right? Exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And why is that, Martin? Well, he uh, 
didn't used to be very, uh, let's say, <laughs> holding <Old> back. <laughs> with, uh, oh, yeah, <laughs> holding back with comments on on on, uh, on pull requests and stuff like that. It uh, it was yes, we, quite uh, covered in expletives. <laughs> links, of course, within the show notes. But I can recall this pretty equivocal. Is that yes. what I'm looking for? Outspoken, maybe oh, even oh. controversial. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Remark at a conference where Linus used an expletive in the context of NVIDIA hmm. with regards to their closed source video drivers. As I said, the rest is history. Detail links within the show notes. Funny enough, that NVIDIA is probably now one of the richest companies in that hmm. sector with regards, to, with regards to overall market cap as market capitalization and yep. cash flow and all the rest of it. Yeah, I mean, they have, they have been doing pretty well, right? With the, with the advent of this whole deep learning, machine learning nonsense. Mm-hmm. And not even to mention crypto mining and gaming. Well, very true. <laughs> for all these yeah. funny things that you can actually use GPUs for, exactly. Uh, yes. where they come from. Including exactly. databases as well. Yeah. It's amazing. Anyway, yeah. So if we, yeah, if we mention Linus, we should also mention Richard, really, shouldn't we? Yes. And why should we mention that? Or well, him, he, rather. He's... <laughs> <laughs> or it? Well, him is. <laughs> who knows? Who knows? Um, well, he had some pretty controversial comments, and then got booted out of FSF and all that kind of stuff, right? Yeah, but he managed. Yeah, it's got some going mm. in. No, no, that's that's kind of the summary about it, right? Uh, but he managed to weasel himself back into the FSF board, if not completely mistaken, about what two years ago, maybe. Yeah, I think you're right there. Yeah. I mean, funny enough, I saw him recently in Frankfurt. Oh, yes. He wasn't quite himself, actually, because, A, of course, he's, he's I think, now mid-60s or something like that. But um, the whole thing, I think he's suffering from some from some health problems, like many of us do at that, at that age, I suppose. Mm. But he was, in comparison to about, I saw him the last time around in terms of life on the stage about 10 years ago, maybe slightly less. But in contrast to then, he was pretty tame. Oh, yeah. But maybe oh, this whole board fiasco has told him a lesson or yeah. two. So, Martin, there's good news for us. Apparently, even given old age, he can still learn. Um, I don't know. Speak for well, himself. I'm, 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 not, I'm not old. So I deny everything here. Oh, Martin... <laughs> <laughs> What's what I'm looking for? A dream on, Mr. Bush, exactly. Uh-huh. <laughs> but going back to scary things, of course, we should probably yeah. mention Zephra. We should probably mention Zephram Cochrane. Oh, why should we mention yes. him? Uh, because, as probably we all know, Do uh, people know who he is, by the way. Well, oh. well, actually, yes, he's the guy who invented the warp drive in 2063. I ah. took it for a test spin, actually. So if, if history books are anything to go by, especially the ones mm-hmm. that will be written in the future, of course, we still have our flux capacitor in place, so we know huh? these things, people, believe us. Yeah. When he first took this for a spin, he actually used closed-source technology in 2063. Yeah. Of course, Vulcans to the rescue, because when the Vulcans picked up that warp trail, that warp signature, he, they made first contact. Hmm. And if history books anything to go by they put them on the right track with history, history to... future books yes yeah exactly <laughs> future history the... books yes 
they put him on the right track with regard uh-huh. to using open source technology to construct and use warp drives. And as Martin said, the rest is history. Mm. Uh, yeah, and if you want to prevent the invention of the warp drive, he's born in 2030, so you're going to only have seven years to wait until <laughs> <laughs> so, Anything um, else we should know about Zephram Cochrane, Martin? Well, did you know he was the first one to say, go boldly where no man has gone before? Yes. Which is so. obviously incorrect English, but yeah, that's... Well, he's from America, no? Yeah, that's very true. <laughs> so you can't really hold that against him, can you? Of course, it should be to <laughs> you boldly go. Anyway... Yes, but but I mean the main thing he invented this, and the Vulcans picked it up because because they were just in the neighborhood, and mm. without our reckoning that first contact, there wouldn't be a United Federation of Planets. Pure speculation, of course, but unfortunately we can we can only go forward in time, but not backward. <laughs> yeah, well, we don't have that long to wait. It's, it's, uh, yeah. Exactly. You might you might even make it to twenty sixty three. Who knows? Who knows? That's another forty years, Martin. I'm I'm gonna be long <laughs> dead by then. You think? Oh. I know. Oh, I thought you had your um uh time device handy. Uh which is currently under maintenance, yes. Ah, let's see. Let me get get fixing them then. <laughs> Indeed. Anything else uh, that we should discuss with regards to scary moments in floss? History, I think we covered quite a few of them, right? Yeah. yeah. If not, and let's get on with the with the sketch, so that mm. people don't mm. have to fast forward anymore in order to get to the dark side <laughs> episode. <laughs> if you're so inclined, and with that, onto the ep- uh, onto the sketch. Ah, hello. This is the dark side. Tech support. How may I help you? I need my laptop being locked or, even better, erased from a distance. Aha. Uh-huh. So, what's your support account number? 666969666. That's triple six, three times, 69, and triple six. Correct. Okay. It says here, premium account, platinum status, group support contract for lower deities. Treat with VIP respect. Man, you must be important. Us first-liners don't get that many calls from you folks. Most of these calls are routed directly to our VIP support line. Why didn't you call that number, by the way? Because I want to keep a low profile. Can we just get on with it? Of course, of course. But given your divine powers, the question begs. Why didn't you simply destroy the laptop with some lightning? Or something else. And then simply recreate the machine? If you can give and take a life, doing that should be a walk in the park, right? Because um, there has been a glitch that caused a temporary downtime of these powers. Can you elaborate? Not that it's any of your business, but let me give you the lowdown. It all started a few months ago when my colleagues and myself were getting concerned about the growing influence of artificial intelligence and deep learning. Never mind mechanical learning. Mechanical learning. You mean machine learning, right? What's the difference? It's all fake anyway. At any rate, we felt that something needs to be done to stop 
that in its tracks before the powers that be fall for this crap. Sorry, so to get this right, uh, gods, albeit lower gods, are getting concerned about man-made inventions taking their place? You're not serious, are you? You invented this fucking show after all in the first place, and you're afraid of some piece of software taking your place. Jesus, sorry about the pun. What rock have you been living under for the last couple of months? Don't you remember the July of 23, when both the writers and the actors' guilds took to the streets in protest of exactly that issue? Now, that combination is pretty close to religion, as most of Hollywood's producers will be more than happy to tell you. And the money thing was just a pretext to get the media interested. The rest is history anyway. Is it? As I indeed seem to have been living on a rock in that regard, what exactly happened? As I said, the guild and its members weren't too happy about where this seemed to be going... Hang on, hang on. So you mean there's a union of gods in place? On a divine level? You must be joking. If you don't like something, just change it. At the end of the day, you're gods, after all. If it only was that, that simple, are you religious by any chance? Are you serious? I work in IT. Okay, I'll rest my case. Let me fill you in in that case. Divinity, like every other big corporation, is organized as a complex structure with many layers of management running the whole thing. There's executive boards, non-executive boards, trusts, committees, subcommittees, working groups, and finally as minions doing the actual work, like creating universes, destroying them, dealing with the paperwork, and other boring stuff. You get the idea. So if you want to change something, you better make sure that A, do it by the book, B, if you don't want to, can't bribe the right folk, you have a majority in place at the echelons backing you up, or this whole thing is a stillborn. But back to the issue at hand. As we were just about to go all in for that all-important strike to put an end to this artificial intelligence nonsense, somebody must have leaked the idea to HR over lunch or something, as shortly afterwards a memo came down from very high up above. A memo from high up above. I thought that just planet Earth was running on mails, memos, and other superfluous paperwork. Is it really that bad running the universe? You have no idea. Anyways... As soon as HR got wind of it, the shit really hit the fan. Essentially, the memo, in no uncertain terms, told us to double-check our contracts. Wait, what? Gods have employment contracts? What do you think? That we are in charade for the greater good? You can't be serious. Anyway, turns out that the contracts we signed all those billions of years ago do contain a clause which explicitly forbids any industrial actions whatsoever. In case of violation, sanctions would be enforced. But doesn't this just call for unions? If you are that cushioned anyway, didn't anybody think of organizing these suppressed deities? Like Divine Workers Revolt 1.0? And that's exactly what happened. But another clause in the contract exactly ruled out that as well. 
We tried to take this to a labor court, but as you can imagine, this was pretty futile as all of the judges in the court, as any other beings, were created by our bosses. But hell, it was worth a try anyway. So what happened with these sanctions? It got pretty worse. We managed to keep our jobs, but with severe restrictions. For example, instead of transportation from one point of the universe to another, as we were used to, anybody in the hot seat was supposed to fly coach. And when it came down to business, meaning adult entertainment, you could not simply create the pleasure being of your choice anymore, but were limited to some second-class catalog of floozies. Pretty disappointing and really taking the fun out of being a god or goddess, if gender matters at the end of the day. Okay, that explains it a little bit. But why do you need a remote wiping of your machine? The whole thing started when I got out of the airport at the beginning of the trip and tried to rent a car. Are you real? Ground transportation confined to the mere mortals, no? As I said, things got pretty worse. So what exactly happened? When I got to the rental agency, they asked if I wanted to take out additional insurance at a premium. But wanting to avoid any further complications with HR, I double-checked our travel expenses guidelines in advance and I noticed a clause exactly rooting this out. Funny that. It's exactly the same in this dump. I suppose cheapskates, especially when it comes to the jerks in accounting, never die out. Pennywise, but pound... Foolish comes to mind here. Anyway, as some jerk in accounting forgot to put some dough into my corporate credit card, I couldn't afford the liability deposit that the rental company asks for if you don't take premium insurance cover. Did you try to get this sorted? When I rang corporate accounting from the rental office, all they had to say for themselves was apparently some short-term cash flow issues, which should be resolved very soon. When questioned further on on the details, they mumbled something about a few weeks or two months at worst. What about simply creating some more dough if the congregation fails to contribute their tithes? That's what I told them too, but they weren't having any of it, but rather tried to take refuge in hyperinflation, monetary policies and other excuses. Anyway, the bottom line was that... Do you have a personal credit card which you could use here? You listen for a change? As I said, I assume this lack of basic divine powers is of a temporary nature only. Why should I bother with a personal credit card and its expenses when I hope to be off to the races pretty soon anyway? But you're calling the accounting people cheapskates. Surely you're joking, my lord. Don't get cheeky. Long story short... As the rental car wasn't an option anymore, I had to find an alternative means of transport if I wanted to be even near making that schedule, which had been planned elaborately before the trip. Turns out that the group from the competition was just standing next to me trying to rent a car as well. Competition? You know, devil worshippers. I think a more politically correct denomination would be Satanists, but I couldn't care less about this PC bullshit. Anyway, turns out they were pretty much heading in the same direction as I was, so I asked them for a ride. And did you introduce yourself, or did you keep your exact nature to yourself? Do you think I'm that stupid? 
I told them something about the traveling salesman, which isn't that far from the truth, given the profits and all, on his last straw by trying to make a deadline, and they really fell for this one. Little did I know what was in store for me. Why? What happened? Turns out the beloved competition were hellbound, pardon the pun, on heading for some of my favorite recreational substances. Gods do drugs? Why bother? If they have all physics, biology, never mind chemistry at their disposal? You see, this is the problem with you mere mortals. You don't get it. Even gods can only do so much. Afterwards, flukes have to take care of the rest. And anyway, do you think without divinity resorting to recreational substances, there would be such a thing as the universe, never mind what came with it and happened afterwards? So, the universe and anything that came later is just a product of some deities being totally high. I would phrase this completely differently. There's some truth in that. Anyway, going back to the problem at hand... Ah, yes, there was a reason why you rang initially, if I recall. Turns out the competition was really into absinthe. One of my all-time favorites. Absinthe. Isn't that something for old people? Mind you, I suppose gods are pretty old. Anyway, if I remember correctly, even the pharaoh called it an ancient drug. Not that this is even remotely telling. <laughs> you watch it, youngling. Once you're in the shoes of an ancient deity, you will see things from a different perspective. Anyway, once we hit the road, they cracked the absinthe bottles really open, much to my delight. But that was exactly where things went south. Well, I'm unlikely to fit in any shoes of a deity, but anyway, what, what, so what happened? Absinthe, unfortunately, has this habit of making me chatty. So after a long and serious discussion about the war in general, history in particular, and wars past, present and future... Wait? Wait? You discussed future wars? Isn't that against the very principles of exactly not creating a time-traveling paradox? Yes and no, <laughs> granted. Discussing future events in such a context does risk changing that very future. But, as we are gods at the end of the day, we can fix these things. It just becomes harder, as you have to take more complexities into account. You see, this is where these billions of years of training come in handy. But back to my conundrum. You, you didn't reveal that you were a god even then, did you? Now, that would be a violation of the Prime Directive, wouldn't it? Which is, never, ever disclose your true identity, never mind whether to a human, the competition, a politician, or some other scum. Um, other valued members of society. So you literally save the day. Well, somewhat, as the effects of, of absinthe took hold of me more and more, they must have sussed that I wasn't your ordinary run-of-the-mill salesperson, but rather a loaded one with lots of items which had the possibility of immediate monetization. So once I crossed the threshold from mere rambling to incoherent babbling, they must have dumped me in a ditch alongside the road, but just me and not any of my possessions, as I woke up in a dump where some road-cleaning crew Clearly must have left me after picking me up from the ditch. So that laptop is still with them, and that's why I need your a remote lock, or even better, a factory reset from a distance. Uh, may I ask about the exact nature of this laptop's content? 
nothing too serious, like the plans for the outer galaxy for the next 20 billion of years with regards to business expansion and preempting the competition. What? Satanists are universal? I thought they were just a nuisance on this planet. Anyway, did you hint at any of this when you talk to them at increasing levels of intoxication, perhaps? Of course not. That would have simply given away my identity, no. Anyway, when asked about my line of business, I just told them that I was in corporate finance looking after expanding the business on a global level, which is not that far from the truth. Only that the level is somewhat universal, quite literally, the universe in fact. This must have rang some of the bells, though, as they became quite interested in the details afterwards. I suppose that's the main reason for them going after that laptop, trying to suss out what global expansion is all about and how to make a quick buck from it. We truly apologize to any Satanists listening to this podcast. Apparently that one slipped through censors, which are part of the post-production team. No, they're everywhere. Where there's divinity, there's the anticlimax. You see, it's all about yin-yang and this other illicorian bullshit. Again, we apologize for the political incorrectness of these remarks. Apparently there's room for optimization in the content production department as well. Anyway, the bottom line is that I need this laptop wiped ASAP. I've got an even better idea. Why not recover that device if the data stored on it is that important to you? That would be great. But how can you do this? Well, that's the easy bit. Uh, threaten, uh, sorry, wrong word, convince them via a crypto locker. The prospect of this apparent valuable data vanishing beyond their reach forever will scare the shit out of them if they are so hot on this. But rather, asking them to transform cryptocurrency bullshit, we are going to arrange an in-person pickup by one of our parties of specialists exactly trained for this type of endeavor, using any means necessary if required. You have mercenaries for this? Of course not. Just highly skilled negotiators well used in dealing with this type of situation. Now. Let's get cracking. From your spore contract records, I see your machine is running Windows 10 22H2. Is that correct? No, no, it just boots up with some blue logo vaguely reminiscent of an aperture. That's the one. So how are you going to access this laptop if it's already in their position and then put this CryptoLocker software on this machine? What is this anyway? A CryptoLocker is a piece of software used in bargaining situations like this one, to convey the encryption of valuable data so that it's beyond reach from any application's perspective. But normally this process is of course reversible given the right decryption key. But I digress. Getting to this machine is again the easy part. Simply locate the machine based on its network address, activate a RAT and display some fancy dialogue indicating the imminent encryption of the data. What's a RAT? Uh, it's an acronym standing for some remote access technology. Wait, now that you mention this, I think I heard this before. Doesn't RAT stand for Remote Access Trojan? We prefer the term Remote Access Trusted, as we trust this software as we wouldn't use it otherwise. So it's all good then? Of course it is, of course it is. Let's get down to it then. First of all, let's locate the machine. Done. 
By the looks of it, your newly found friends are already gambling on their future earnings as the laptop seems to be located in a neighborhood of, shall we say, ambiguous reputation, according to his GIP data. What do you mean? Uh, do you know what negotiable affection refers to? Should I? Uh, to put it in layman's terms, this reversed to carnal services rendered purely on a commercial, i.e. monetary basis. You mean they hooked up with hookers? That's one way of putting it. Let's see how today reacts to a friendly message like, your sensitive data has just been encrypted. After the encryption has finished. Yep, that's what I thought. Just explosives of the worst kind. Like what? In polite terms, they just told me to go where apparently their deity of choice resides. You're speaking of riddles. That's all part of the contract. Um, anyway, they're Satanists, remember? They told you to go to hell? Yeah, that pretty much sums it up. And uh, now what? Well, let me teach them a lesson they won't forget anytime soon. After all, my role model is the BOFH. BOFH? Bastard operator from hell. Which is, by sheer coincidence, where they want me to be anyway. Done. What is done? I just killed that global window manager process, which leaves them with an ancient command line interpreter called cmd.exe on that version of Windows, if I'm not completely mistaken. Yep, they seem to be stranded. You can see all this from far? You see, I'm not called tech support for no reason. Now. A final quick message with the desired amount and, much more importantly, the delivery instructions for this fee so that the guys can retrieve your machine as explained. Should only be a matter of days now. Uh, quick question. Assuming that you won't get your divine powers back anytime soon, do you at least have a cell phone? Sure. Let me amend your support ticket with that number so that I can send you a short message once the guys have successfully recovered your machine. Great. I don't know how to thank you. Ah, I have a, do have a couple of ideas, but that requires you getting back your powers. So let's just say you owe me one. Or two, if you know what I mean. What exactly does the dark side tech support mean? Will this involve the services of any custom-made ladies of negotiable affection, small furry animals, leather underwear, all of these? Stay tuned for a future episode where all of this may or may not be revealed when you hear these magic words. This is the Dark Side Tech Support. How may I help you? Oh, Martin, that was a interesting episode, wasn't it? Oh, it was just as fun. In, as, in, fun yeah. as in sketch, yes. And before we close off this Halloween episode, we should, mm. we should probably discuss poxies. Okay, okay. Go for it. My pox is actually a movie, funny enough. It's called Nobody. Oh. And the main actor is a guy of... I'm really getting old. Okay. Um, of, I don't know. I haven't of, seen it, so I can't help you. Oh, it's beautiful. Uh, <laughs> of course, of Better Call Saul and the other kind, Breaking Bad. Exactly, Breaking Bad and Better Call Saul. Better Call Saul, of course, he play, He actually portrayed the lawyer. And, of course, I'm talking about Mr. Bob Odenkirk. Okay. 
Never heard without, of it. Yeah, That's without funny. giving too much away, IMDb rates it at, I think, over 7, yeah, 7.4. I would give it a solid 8. And the storyline, as I said, no teasers or just a too tiny one. A family man is put to the test with regards. A couple of people break into his house, try to steal something, and then he makes the wrong move and rubs up with the Russian mob. Very oh. good movie, very interesting, very funny at times. Always a bad idea. Yeah, okay. Excellent. What's your Excellent. pox? My pox is a project called, called Postgres ML. Okay. <laughs> uh, yeah, no, it's, it's something that uh, clearly being a big fan of Postgres have uh, come across recently. It is a, well, really making uh, your database ready for AI with pipelines, with training, with uh, bringing in open source models, with uh, running transformers, all that kind of stuff. It's um, uh, storing and unstructured data as vectors and so on. It's it's great. Yeah, it's um, really okay. moves, it moves it into the... Uh, uh, again, you know, this is only possible because Postgres is such a uh, brilliant open source database and, yeah, constant and developments on that front. Enterprise DB Marketing, if you're listening, the email address is, is, is sponsor at Linux. No, 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 this is open source. Nothing to do with <laughs> yeah, of course. <laughs> Enterprise DB, of course, being the company behind Postgres, I'm just saying. Uh, no, 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 no. Postgres, Postgres is an open source project where... Exactly all our money, exactly. Where, where there is one or two people of Enterprise DB on the, on the board, but that's... Or about maybe it. four or something. No, 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 no. they're not allowed to have a majority. This is, this is how the project's organized. It's very well organized. I see. Okay, yes. yeah, yeah, yeah. No, no one company you, can have a majority on the board. You don't have Postgres. to work for them, Mark, do you? I'm <laughs> just checking. Uh, I don't. No, 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 no. <laughs> Given the amount of mark of free marketing that you chip in for them, I'm just I'm just shaking that thought. Okay. No, no, no. Um, post post open do... source project is just yeah, of course. Nothing to do mark. with no any worries. commercial company. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's not like we're promoting Oracle or something, which is a brilliant database, by the way. But yeah, Oracle closed source. Yes. Yeah, obviously closed source. So we won't even talk about this. <laughs> Martin, we have to do the feedback. Yes, let's do the feedback. Let's do the feedback. What yes. feedback do we have? Uh, we have an email from our esteemed listener, namely uh -huh. Jay Adams. Let me read it out to you. In-laws, and refers to, of course, Season 1, Episode 94. In-laws, another excellent episode from the in-laws, another excellent guest. And, of course, 94 was is actually, or was, sorry, was the episode with is. Lars and RT Security. No. The only real grudge is having mm. never learned Germany. Adam, you are German, to German, there. German, yes. the language, not the country. <laughs> yes. No, 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 no. But Adam, yeah, I mean, Martin and my, and, and my knowledge is anything you go by of the German language. You're, you're a good company there, so no worries. <laughs> Indeed. <laughs> <laughs> have you ever learned German in school? So what, she? No, no. I you. have. Uh, yeah, yes. yeah, yeah. So what happened? It just fell by the wayside. Well, I don't use it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's what happens with things you don't use. <laughs> Martin, this is totally what the, falling by the wayside means, yes. Well, so this is how the brain works, right? Stuff that isn't used just gets put in some archive at the bottom. <laughs> Indeed. I mean, otherwise, yeah. <clears throat> otherwise, we would be using more than 10% of our brain. Stuff about neural pathways and yes. stuff like that. Yeah, indeed. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. See, I remember okay. some things from school, you know. <laughs> like what? Oh, neural pathways and so on. Yeah. Anyway, carry on. You had them at school. Well, I still have them now. <laughs> no, 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 no. I'm 
sorry, misunderstanding. Yeah, I, I know that you have to, Martin, because otherwise you wouldn't be talking. No, I thought you were you were referring to neuroscience as a subject at school. So I was ah, no, no, that's that's probably going to be just called biology back then. Yeah. Anyway, uh, yes, great feedback. Um, he is, of course, referring to the armchair investigator guy. Yes, last one, born. Last, if you're listening, thanks for mm. being on the show and. We will have you back at some stage. Uh, Martin, we should probably alert our listeners to the fact that there have been numerous guests shipping in Halloween greetings because it is oh. the season after all, yes. Yes, well, uh, in some countries, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, yes, well, in quite a few English-speaking countries, I suppose. Predominantly, indeed, indeed. So, yeah, quite a few luminaries have sent in season greetings, so enjoy, because they will be coming up very shortly. And with that, thank you for listening, and see you soon. Happy Halloween. Happy Halloween. And I want to wish everybody, happy Halloween, Horn. Happy Halloween. Happy Halloween. Happy Halloween. Happy Halloween! Happy Halloween! Happy Halloween! Happy Halloween! Happy Halloween! Fröhlich Halloween! This is the Linux in-laws. You come for the knowledge. But stay for the madness. Thank, Thank you for, for listening. listening. This podcast is licensed under the latest version of the Creative Commons license. Type attribution share alike. Credits for the intro music go to Blue Sea Roosters for the song Salute Margaret to Twin Flames for their piece called The Flow, used for the segment intros, and finally to Celestial Ground for their song Sweet Justice, used by the Dark Side. you find these and other ditties licensed under CC at Gemendo, a website dedicated to liberate the music industry from choking copyright legislation and other crap concepts. Mm-hmm.